You're listening to The Web for Marketing Podcast, where business owners, digital marketers, and creatives collide. All right, I think we are a few minutes after and we got a large participation. So let's get this kicked off today. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us uh, for our inaugural 2022 session. Uh, we do a panel at the beginning of every year in accordance with SEMPDX. Uh, and we're joined today by Anna Medill, uh, owner and president of Avenue, Mike Rosenberg from Veracity, Trisha Davis-Payne uh, from Web4, Sheree Jones from Rain the Growth Agency, and Kent Lewis from Anvil Marketing. Uh, I wanna thank everyone on our panel for joining, but before we get kicked off into the panel, uh, just a couple of brief announcements. Obviously we're continuing our commitment towards our community. And obviously while we look forward to one day uh, seeing everyone in person, we will be remaining virtual for the next several months in accordance with state and federal health policies, making sure that our community is safe and healthy is paramount to the SEMPDX Board of Directors and us as an organization committed towards the Portland digital community. Uh, so be on the lookout for our uh, next uh, virtual events. And as always, uh, throughout this pandemic, we've been able to make sure that our membership is free and will remain free uh, for the foreseeable future. So if you're interested in joining SEMPDX, I invite you to go to SEMPDX.org slash membership, sign up for a free membership that gets you access to all of our events, uh, some of our Slack channels, uh, and of course, making sure that uh, you're staying up to date with all of our events as we plan for the remainder of the year. Um, it is also our pleasure to announce our new 2020-22 charity of choice. That is the Maurice Lucas Foundation. Uh, they, they are uh, committed towards growing kids within the Portland and greater Pacific Northwest community. Uh, some of the in integral pillars of their work is integrity, hard work, goal setting, positivity, personal responsibility, respect, and leadership. Uh, they have a group of mentors, of coaches, uh, tutors, and a collective to growing and ensuring that uh, children, especially those impacted by school closures and kind of academic kind of restrictions that have been over the last several years and making sure that no kid falls through the cracks and they're growing that. If you'd like to know more about our charity of choice, it's on our website at SEMPDX.org. The SEMPDX Board of Directors is proud to support them. We'll be raising money and gaining awareness around their organization throughout the year, and we're really looking forward to that. And I want to Thank uh, Anna Medill for making sure that we uh, maintain that flag for our charity of choices and look to support them throughout uh, 2022. But without any further ado, I want to get into the panel now. We're going to kind of go around, allow the panelists to do some introductions, talk about what they've seen in 2021 and how that's going to impact the year ahead in 2022. Uh, so I'm just going to, uh, without, I'm just going to look at my Zoom order as the screens on, uh, the faces on my screen appear. And Kent, I'm going to start with you. What was the big thing you saw in 2021? How did it impact your world? And what do you think that means going into 2022? Uh, well, I'll start with the obvious one. I think it's the depreciation of third-party cookies on the ad side and how what we're seeing in 2022, as everybody's probably seeing, is the advent of the first-party data. So a lot of the retail networks are creating their own um, ad networks. So that's an opportunity for us and our clients to get in on that. A um, couple other quick notes from last year, obviously hybrid events. Uh, have been a big, big thing for um, clients that were in the traditional event industry. And so there's some opportunities there for folks like us. Um, voice search, we've been working on that for three years. We thought last year was going to be the year, but I think honestly, this year is going to be the year. Perhaps the voice search breaks through with saturation of smart speakers and so forth. Um, influencer marketing um, depends on um, on your take on that, but I think uh, COVID has made that a permanent fixture, much to my chagrin. And our big push last year was NFTs, um, not really SEO or paid specifically, just a, a new channel for brands. And this year we're pushing um, that evolution into the metaverse. So um, that whole AI, AR, VR world and how that impacts us. And then just wrapping up, putting a lot of stuff out there, but um, we still think the fundamentals are important. So I think video and image optimization are still way underutilized by most brands other than the most advanced brands. Big push this year, uh, UGC, user-generated content, optimization of that. Um, Over-the-top streaming for paid. Um, on the, on the uh, social side, live shopping. And then lastly, 
Um, our big focus uh, with our clients is better SEO paid integration, the data, the keyword insights, uh, the teams all talking, working together more effectively based on that new data. So that's us at a glance over at Anvil. And were we supposed to introduce ourselves or I think you already did that, right? Yeah, I, I did, but feel free as we go yeah. along. You want to get some deeper background? What's your favorite? Nope, that's good. It's on my shirt. <laughs> we're, we're all set. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Uh, Anna, over to you. What did you see in 2021? What's the big news for 2022? So hi, everyone. Anna Medill, founder CEO of Avenue. We're a B Corp digital and social media agency here in Portland. And lots of things. I mean, I think, Kent, you actually captured quite a, a lot of the things that I was planning to mention. But as we all know, the last two years has been crazy. And it's been really, really clear that in order for brands and companies to succeed online, they really need to have their digital marketing house in order. And that's been really difficult when things have been shifting and changing under our feet over the last year and a half, particularly with iOS 14, data privacy, the upcoming sort of pending removal of third-party cookies and tracking capabilities that us as digital marketers have really relied on for so, so long uh, to optimize and you know, I think we've seen sort of a peak of being able to track and optimize based on the data that those cookies provide us. And now we're going to start to see a waning of that data. So in terms of shifting and thinking ahead to 2022, it really is zero party data, first party data. So how can you as a brand or a company think about creatively garnering that information directly from your customers to create those real-time experiences when they hit your website or interact with your brand online? So wholeheartedly agree with sort of the death of the cookie and the rise of zero party, first party data. A few other things, definitely things have shifted to hybrid. I won't sort of dwell there. The other thing I'll just mention is things that our team is really looking at is short form video content. Can't mention this, but I think it's really going to be required to succeed. It's not a nice to have. In 2020, as the pandemic was kicking off, TikTok quickly set the record for the most downloads in a single quarter. That is sort of short form ephemeral video content at its finest. And that has only grown over the last the last year and a half to compete Instagram Reels um, was launched later last year. And, and this type of video content is projected to rise 80% over the next year. And the platforms and algorithms are really prioritizing that content. So as a brand, if and this is a shift that is happening on Instagram, they are moving away from being a photo sharing platform. They want to become a video sharing platform. And that's been really clear in seeing the introduction of reels, stories. And so brands who are not sharing video content, short form video content online are really going to be left behind, particularly with the way the algorithms are prioritizing that kind of content. Even with the shifts that are going to be coming up with Instagram in particular, with the three new feeds, uh, which going back to chronological favorites and sort of that suggested type content, uh, video is still going to be really important in order to succeed. So it's paid spend to back up that organic content. And I think the last thing I'll share is, again, I think progressive companies are going to be looking at how AI and VR experiences can really augment some of the digital and virtual events or you know productions that they're putting on and thinking about how to use ai responsibly is something that i think companies should be thinking about as we move into the the new year here right that's you know i think that that's uh, all important factors, especially when we're thinking about those new social channels. I know Cherie is going to touch on that. But before we get to her, Mike Rosenberg, what have you seen this last year? Uh, how's it been and what does it mean for 2022? Great. Yeah, thanks. So Mike Rosenberg, CEO of Veracity. Uh, we are a PR, digital PR and content marketing agency, um, also based here in Portland. Um, so you know, a, a few of the things that I wanted to touch on. So a lot of these 2021 and then what we're seeing then, I think is the direct correlation into 2022. So, you know, when Kent said the thing everybody's talking about where my mind went was the great resignation, right? So I think we saw a lot of that in 2021. We're going to continue to see that in 2022. And I think that's going to influence how companies market and do their digital marketing in, they're going to have to focus on their employees more. 
right? So not only what folks are doing internally, but you're also going to continue to, I think, empower their teams to do more. I think give sort of more power and more benefits into, um, is that me whose audio is off? Sorry, I'm seeing the chat. No? Okay. Um, they'll continue to, to sort of share that power and empower employees and um, use them more, use folks and, and enable them and empower them to do more in their marketing. Um, and I think the companies that do that and show that is not only as a uh, recruitment, but also as a retention tool for those folks. Because I don't know about, you know, other folks on this, but those are our most important assets or the internal ones we have that are employees. And showing that, and then also with the clients that we work with, helping them show what they're doing uh, to be a competitor in that market, I think will continue to be huge. Um, and you know, as a PR agency, that's where a lot of the media stuff is going. Uh, the other thing is there's gonna be a lot of, there will continue to be, we talked a lot about COVID. Um, we talked a lot about politics. There's a lot of noise sort of, and being the, you know, the, the outlier in this group that's kind of on, on the PR side, if we're doing, if, if you or we are doing consumer work, there's a lot of noise out there, right? So own channels where digital comes in a lot more are the ones that are going to continue to, they started to already see it in 2021, the growth on that side. So, you know, creating your own content, podcast, webinars, the short to form video that Anna mentioned, all of those things will continue to be more important and help companies uh, win uh, there as well. And then the other thing, Ken mentioned events. Um, you know, sort of before the Omicron came up, my whole thought was, okay, events are going to be huge. And in-person events, trade shows are going to be huge in 2022. Because when we saw that lull and people started to get back, the amount of excitement people had for going to a trade show again was so high, right? And so I think we could, I mean, is it going to happen again? I don't know, but we could get into that. However, also that virtual hybrid approach as it comes to work, but also to events, because companies that relied a lot on events and trade shows to reach their target market, I think a lot of those people are going to go, but a lot of them are. So, and if they don't go, they may not tune in virtually. So you have to think about other ways you can reach that audience that you would normally reach at a trade show or an event. Great. Thank you, Mike. Trisha, over to you. What are you seeing? What did it mean for 2022? Hi, thank you. I'm Trisha with Web4. I'm a partner and director of accounts here been in the industry a long time. I would say, you know, I echo a lot of um, what's already been communicated, but in terms of adding something more to the conversation, I think what we saw as kind of game changing in 2021 was the increased amount of permission you're going to need from your users to actually be in front of them in that space. Um, the landscape is just changing. It's, it's only going to become more decentralized and there's more and more channels for your audience to live on. And so you can't just play in that space. You really have to get permission. You have to know how it operates. You, um, you, know, you just really have to be nimble as a brand and understand where your demographic is spending their time and understanding how that platform works from a user perspective so you can have the permission to tell the brand story, which is another really important factor going into 2022 as we uh, move further and further away from in-person experiences, everything becomes virtual um, and dynamic in its, in its interface, right? Short form video, as Anna mentioned, this is going to be a must have, like you just really can't operate um, going into 2022 without a video uh, platform um, strategy. I think the other big thing that for us was a game changer in 2021 was the advancements that AI is making, not only um, in the ad performance space, right? We have so much more um, access to entry on not only from a cost perspective, but also from uh, an advancement in data mining. So you have so much more information going into ad campaigns where, you know, two, three years ago, you really needed a fair amount of data to make some really smart choices and dial in those campaigns where AI allows you to, to kind of have those advancements going in. So you can really see advanced performances in you know, click-through rates and conversion rates. And then AI has also played a huge role for us in data mining in general, just as, as, a, as an efficiency tool for the um, 
the sheer volume of data that we deal with day in and day out for our clients. Um, it's just, it's massive when you consider all of the various um, elements of, of data analysis and tools like Python and machine learning that allow us to kind of take that data and uh, analyze it very quickly and make decisions very quickly. It just allows um, huge efficiencies and our ability to get our clients' marketing strategies out there and in front of their demographics much quicker than we ever could before. So I'd say those are probably um, some game-changing things in 2021 for us. Great, thank you, Trisha. Cherie, last but not least, what did you see in 2021? What are you seeing in 2022? Yeah, um, first of all, um, I'm Cherie Jones. I'm the director of paid social over at Rain, the growth agency um, here in Portland. We're a full service agency, um, so really top to bottom. Um, but I lead strategy and execution on the paid social side. Um, very interesting um, year we had, or past couple of years we've had in paid social, um, probably pulling on a lot of what others on the panel have said. Um, our biggest, you know, the, something, the biggest thing that we saw in 2021 was trouble with, um, with attribution and with signal loss. And really that iOS 14 is now coming to fruition in terms of what we're able to see um, from audiences and um, what we're able to now execute. Um, the biggest thing going into 2022 sort of that pulls off of that, um, I can sum up in one word, which is creative. Um, creative has become <clears throat> just so important in paid social. Um, gone are the days of you know, repurposing a piece of creative um, for Facebook and just calling it a day. Um, users are very smart now. Um, that short form video, absolutely true that Trisha touched on, that Anna touched on, absolutely true. And I would say it's even more important for brands to start looking at how um, they can look at different social platforms that are um, pulling off of the same user. So one thing that we like to say at Rain is that everyone has their favorite social platform, but hardly anybody only uses one social platform. So think about where your audience is and how you can best talk to them about your brand, um, drive action for your brand um, in that space. So, you know, if it's a Snapchat ad, make sure that you are designing for sound up, make sure that you are designing for integration. If it's TikTok, make sure that you are music forward. Um, this pulls into something that um, will make Kent probably not that happy, but influencer marketing is really going to be, you know, one of the biggest pulls in 2022. Influencers are no longer seen as just an additive. Um, they're really seen as creators and they're seen as brands in and of themselves. So looking at influencers and creators as partners for your brand is much more, um, much more of the, the way of the world now in 2022. Um, creators have a lot of power and they have a lot of pull and they also can ladder back up to what I, um, to the, the, sort of mission of 2022, which is creative. So looking at creators, not as, you know, influencers to influence just their own audiences, but as creators to then, you know, pull on pieces of your brand that you may not have thought of that they can now give you those pieces of creative to put into rotation alongside your brand creative. Thank you, Sheree. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a great uh, topic and I know as as we go through the panel again if you have any questions for any of the panelists just be sure to put it in the chat but we did get a couple of questions ahead of time uh, we'll kind of go through it's kind of a wide range of questions that we got uh, but I'm going to go to Mike with this first one uh, this first question that we got uh, but uh, obviously panelists feel free to jump in uh, but I'm going to go to Mike with this one what is the moral and ethical role of marketers and marketing platforms in our divided and misinformed society? Is it a matter of free speech and whatever works, or are there more safeguards and policing needed uh, within the marketing field? Okay, well, that's a, a nice softball to start us off, right? <laughs> um, okay, do no wrong, right? I mean, that's the, you know, God, good question. Um, you know, I think that part of Part of it, you know, it makes me think of fake news, the way that the question was asked, right? And, you know, media, like traditional media sources, people have their own, right? And each one, I think, thinks, you know, not each one, many of them think that they're providing the information the right way. From a marketing standpoint, I think, especially from an agency standpoint, or actually in a company standpoint, um, on the ethical side, I mean, 
providing the information that you know is, or you at least think is true and accurate is one thing. Um, you know, I think there's, when working with, with agencies and companies, I think that it kind of goes into the whole piece I was talking about in the beginning about great resignation and how, you know, companies need to show who they are and what their culture is. You know, Anna mentioned the B Corp. Um, a lot of companies are, you know, going that route and, and showing really who they are um, to their employees and the people that they work with. And so starting with, with that and is one way to, to do it, you know, um, but calling through whether, whether media is, is true uh, and what it's coming from, I mean, from a brand perspective, I think you need to have those conversations, right? And um, most companies, you know, one of the interesting things during the last year or two, you know, when social justice, when um, it was mostly around the social justice stuff came up, you know, we had those conversations with our clients about, you know, when and where do you feel like you need to say things, right? And we were not surprised, but surprised, but certainly encouraged by the feedback that we got when you're asking the questions. So I think it really just starts with, with asking the questions and then using that, that organically and, and ethically in your marketing. Uh, you know, on the, you know, one of the things that, that as I thought about uh, a question that could be anticipated for this panel that comes around, you know, being the PR agency and digital PR, a lot of the questions around SEO go into links, right? Um, and in fact, uh, we have a prediction podcast coming out with, with guests from last year for our podcast. And everybody, many of you know, recent presenter, Michael Cottom, his whole focus was on fake news sites, but not like fake news, like CNN fake news or Fox News fake news, but just, you know, the websites that are fake news sites that have high DAs, but they're just because DAs measured off links, right? And different stuff like that. So I think that one, uh, he thinks those are going to become, have less value, right? And they're going to start to be discovered more. And so for folks who are buying those, um, if they took a step back and took an ethical approach, they wouldn't be buying them in the first place. So part of it might be forced. Right. Thank you for that. Uh, I know I was just reading in sequential order with my question list. Didn't mean to drop uh, too much fire to kick it off with, but I appreciate that, Mike. Um, <laughs> well, Ken, I got a question uh, on the top of this list that I think you can really dive into. Uh, how can I trust Google to show my PPC ads appropriately when my keyword report shows 86 impressions, but the search term report only shows 23? Good grief. Um, I may not be the best person to ask this because <laughs> I, even though I'm Google ad certified, it shows you how worthless that certification is because I've never managed a campaign. Um, I, I'm guessing I'm answering on behalf of my team mm -hmm. um, and then I'm going to hand it over to the smart people that have more experiences. I, I, we're always triangulating. The data is never quite 100% between Google ads, Google analytics, and then for SEO, search console, whatever other tools we might be using. So we just try and triangulate and then stick with one for reporting simplicity, um, typically the lower number um, so that we have the, the you know, we don't want to get accused of inflating numbers later. Um, but uh, I honestly will have to defer to the team because I've, I've honestly never managed paid ads. I've been doing this too long. <laughs> Anna? I'll, just, I'll chime in really quickly. I'm not sure who asked the question, but the, the difference between the keyword report and the search term report is the keyword report is the list of keywords that you have selected to bid on. The search term report includes those keywords, but is also looking at other queries that may have triggered um, your ad. And so those, the, like Kent said, those two data sets might be different depending on the report that you're looking at. So just be cognizant of, of the, the separate, the, the differences between those, those two reports and how the lists are different from each other. And not to insert myself onto the panel, but I, this is a rare subject matter expertise. There is also a chance that if you're including search partners into your campaigns, uh, that Google won't uh, assign impressions to particular search terms within those reports. So those that delta between what you're seeing attributed to the keyword in the search term report might be impressions within the Google search partner network. Uh, so be uh, and I always recommend uh, as a rule that not to include search partner networks within search campaigns unless absolutely necessary. So you might look at that but again not to insert myself into the uh panel here uh just the thought that i had uh i have the next question for marianne uh marianne uh asked 
Uh, is advertising on Facebook and even Instagram useful or profitable anymore? Subsequent to January 6, 2021, I know people who deleted their Facebook and Instagram accounts. I almost never use these social media channels myself. Is it just me or fewer people using social media channels? Sheree, I want to go to you first with this question. Yeah, that's a very valid question. Um, Facebook has really not been a great steward of their data, not been a great steward of their audience and their sort of social responsibility. Um, but that said, the numbers are still very high. Um, Facebook continues to be one of the first places that we will look for the widest audience pool. So it, it really is, you know, the first place that you can go to for scale. That said, you know, don't sleep on TikTok. I know that, um, I think it was Anna that said earlier that TikTok, you know, has become, um, you know, emerged during COVID, during the beginning of COVID, and it really hasn't stopped. That user base has really grown and grown. I think it overtook YouTube in average time watched, which is insane when you look at TikTok's 30 second minute and three minute long videos versus YouTube's infinite um, uh, videos. Um, but that said, you know, TikTok isn't the only place that you should be looking. Facebook and Instagram still hold a lot of weight, um, whether it, you know, is profitable or not. Um, I will say because of signal loss, it is really difficult for, you know, attribution models to be able to, um, really see the impact of Facebook. You really do have to look at a longer, um, sort of, you know, model to really see the impact of, of Facebook, but based on the audience that still is on the platform and, you know, still using the platform, um, it is a place where people are, the audience is still there. So, um, I will say that that does mean that it can be profitable for businesses. But again, you really have to look at Facebook in a different light than we did three, four, five years ago. Um, it really is becoming, you know, a little bit more of an upper funnel play, um, a little bit more of a, you know, brand awareness, um, driving, you know, traffic to a site, uh, using lead gen much more than it is kind of a one-to-one -one conversion play. So it really depends on how you can, look at the platform, but the audience is still there. I want to do a quick follow-up over to you, Tricia, on this, because there was kind of a follow-up question uh, that kind of is tied into this is, you know, a lot of people are still seeing SEO be their big driver, new content be their big driver. What do you believe the role that social media plays in an overall SEO strategy and in terms of building those links and getting that traffic? How do you guys view the role of social when you're building an overall SEO plan for a client? Um, I would say, you know, content marketing is a core element that touches all the channels, right? It's SEO, it's your website, it's social, it's email marketing, um, it's paid advertising. And so if you don't have a really solid brand story and you don't fully understand how to communicate that across multiple channels in different ways for the audience you're playing to, um, you're not going to get the social proofing that we see time and time again when people are investigating purchases or, you know, top of funnel, bottom of funnel, wherever it is. Um, so your social needs to be tied to your brand story and your content efforts that you put into, you know, all the things we do with SEO. It is, um, you know, it's not about keyword stuffing and that old play of content that we saw, you know, five plus, eight plus years ago. Um, it's about being authentic with your end user. And if you can't deliver content in a number of different ways and showcase that for the channel that you're operating on, so social being very specific to the type of user, um, what you're posting and playing with on LinkedIn is going to be different on Instagram and should be different on Facebook. Um, but it should all be tied to the authentic brand story that you're trying to communicate and connect your users to because they are going to see you across multiple channels. So it becomes incredibly important to make sure that all your marketing messaging is uh, heavily connected and cohesive. Right. Well, thank you for that, Trisha. You know, the chat uh, seems to be uh, keying in on one major topic, and that's influencers. And I think everyone on the panel has uh, an individual thought uh, around it. So I'm just going to kind of start back 
Ken, I think uh, you had some thoughts around influencers. Tree definitely has an opposition. We're going to kind of go just down the panel and really kind of dive a little bit deeper into the influencer marketing, how it's changed over the last year, what what we should be looking out for 2022, what's the landscape change. So Ken, I'm going to start with you and kind of some of the interactions that you've had kind of in that influencer marketing space, and we'll just move down the panel. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at one of these articles I wrote on influencer marketing a couple of years ago, and I went into it with, this is a fad and it needs to go away. And then I, as I did the research, I realized it's, it's not a fad. It's no more than snowboarding and rap. Um, and it's, it's going to be an incredible part of any marketing. And so um, what I've seen in the last couple of years is that evolution from macro to micro, from you know Kanye and, and his baby wife still. I don't know what's going on with the Kardashians anymore. <laughs> Actually, I never really gave a shit. But either way, um, it's gone from useless influencers that don't really have a life, and um, but, they, but you want to have their life to actual experts in an industry that are truly stand behind a product from one-off lighting of, of big brands hiring some goofball to do something stupid to long-term partner engagements. That's what's been happening in the last year or two. Um, we've advised our clients to, to build a foundation for influencer marketing with, I saw the, in the comment feed, is about thinking of them as ambassadors. If they're never gonna use their product, I don't think you really should really um, you know, engage with them. Um, and so having an affiliate program in place to reward them, I think it's also going towards performance. It used to be um, likes and shares and you know just through general awareness. And then it turned into quality engagements. And then now it's moving to social commerce. And I think you'll see the, the perfect mesh of that in 2022 is live shopping. So influencers showing you know, kind of what unboxing was three, four years ago is what live shopping is now and moving forward. So I, I basically, I think influencers marketing has gotten smarter and better. I'd say, you know, 80% of influencers still don't follow best, best practices and guidelines about disclosing their relationships, the reporting as suspects. So that's why we like performance-based. So affiliate programs where it's all trackable, measurable revenue is a great place for many brands to start. Or those that are lifestyle brands, if you're like a Red Bull, it's just about getting that helmet on that athlete. That's fine. But, but that's 1%. Um, most most brands need to see a return. Um, so different layers, different levels, swag level all the way up to um, big revenue. Um, that's the big change we're seeing. So more measurability, more accountability. And I think that 2022 is just going to be more of the same. Right. And how does Avenue approaching influencer marketing? What do you guys, uh, what have you guys seen? What have you kind of attested into? Yeah, well, I saw a really great question in the chat. A few, um, just scrolling back up around the industrial engineering. So I wanted to touch on that, but I was actually, as Sheree was sharing earlier um, at the beginning of the, the panel, I really resonate. And that's kind of how we have been looking at influencers now. And I think when you look at TikTok as an example, I mean, TikTok really launched influencers who are able to grow massive million, millions of followers in a really short amount of time. When you think of how long TikTok has actually been around, and being able to, and, and what they're doing is they're creating content and they're creating real authentic content that is fast, that it's short, and they're able to, to sell products <laughs> that way. And they're able to gain trust that way because of the, the, the way the content is created. And so with that in mind, you know, we look at it as more of a, a content play and how is, that, how is that potential influencer able to partner and be a co-collaborator? And in some cases, creating their own content that can then be, be shared. In terms of finding influencers, and I thought this was a really great question that was put into the, into the chat by Bjorn, we also work with smaller companies, not large brands. So companies who don't have huge budgets to, uh, to spend in this area. And so one of the ways that we like to look at it is thinking about down to the micro, down to the actual nano influencer. And sometimes finding those is not with a really slick tool, it's actually just taking the time to go through the followers or the people that an account is following one by one, and then looking at their content, and they might only have a couple thousand followers. But if you are a really niche industrial or engineering in that space, or any other brand across different industries, you can sometimes find really valuable potential influencers who 
will want to partner with your brand because their values align, they're aligned with the product or they're in the industry as an expert. And so I just wanted to share that tactic on sort of a smaller scale, but that's an, an interesting way to kind of look for uh, partners who align with, with your industry and brand. Great. Mike, from a digital PR perspective, how do influencers kind of enter your world and what do you look for when you're uh, approaching it from a PR standpoint? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of piggybacking on, on what both Ann and Kent said and kind of what I put in the, the chat was like, you know, if we think of them differently as, you know, from our perspective, we, we talk a lot and do a lot in what we call thought leadership, right? So on the other side of it, we're positioning the companies that we work with and, you know, the people within those companies, I was going to say executives, but it's becoming more and more, you know, getting a more diverse group of quote unquote thought leaders within the, the companies that we work for to put out there to become influencers, right? And yeah, they're micro nano influencers for sure. Um, so from that perspective, I think that that's a big thing uh, that again, happened in 2021, will continue to happen in 2022 to position uh, your company or the, the, you know, if you're an agency, the companies that, that you work for as thought leaders or influencers, right? So, and, and kind of like, we also work with, with, um, more B2B companies that, you know, so we're not talking consumer, quote unquote, you know, big paid money influencers, but it's, it's going in and finding the right people. As Anna mentioned, oftentimes there's people who maybe are already talking about that brand. Right. And so I think Tom put in there, are they ambassadors or thought leaders or influencers? So I think it's just, it's identifying um, the folks that can help you tell the story, you know, as we talked about before, the authentic uh, ethical story of your company, um, and finding whether it's paying them in dollars, products, or features. I think um, going into the, the own content piece as well. You know, if you're able to provide them, whether it's resources to, to create that, that content that uh, is, is owned by them slash you and use that in your marketing, uh, ideally that's showing authenticity uh, and you're creating deeper partnerships as opposed to, you know, just paying for, for a post that, that might not land too much. All right, Tree, lay it on us. What are you hearing? Uh, so I, I agree with, you know, most of what is said here in terms of the importance of influencer media, the layer that, or influencer marketing, the layer that I, I want to make sure people are also thinking about is, is it's not necessarily only an, organic post on an influencer's page or on a creator's page. There's also a paid media component behind it that that really is where you'll get reach and ultimately scale. So when you're thinking about influencers and you're thinking about creators um, that will push a product, reserving some of that budget to, you know, expand the reach. Um, we all know that on, you know, social channels, organic reach is just getting less and less, um, even, you know, on TikTok, unless something really hits viral, it's really difficult to determine the amount of reach any post will get. So having a paid media strategy behind an influencer post is really key to getting that piece of content really out and, and moving and, and making sure that it has legs. Great. Trisha? Yeah, I think that what I would amplify here in this conversation is the absolute importance of the mid-level influencer market. Um, there's just a level of authenticity with their user base that is creates a higher trust point than you know the entertainment value of sports figures and big names in entertainment. Um, when movies shut down and TV making shut down and studios shut down, a lot of, you know, big name influencers and celebrities went to product marketing and it just kind of lands, I don't know, flat these days. You really have to personalize your experience with your users. And if you are uh, partnering with an influencer that is important to them, but isn't, you know, a big name, but a big name in that space, that very niche space, um, you're going to carry a lot more weight with your audience um, if that partnership carries that authenticity, you know, with your brand messaging and all of that that goes with it, because you, you have to be authentic in this marketplace. You have to be not only telling your personal story as a brand, but personalizing the experience you have with the demographic you're trying to reach. 
and mid-level influencers, in my opinion, are going to play a huge role in the marketplace in 2022 and beyond, just based on that, um, you know, that, that authenticity, for lack of a better word. Uh, question coming in from the chat. What steps should show, uh, social media marketers be taking to prepare for the removal of some of the detailed targeting options available on Facebook? I can take that one. Yeah. Um, so it does go back to um, the sort of lead tent pole that I had for 2022, which is creative. So this is, you know, there's a, a lot of prongs to this. Um, the first one being, you know, have a test and learn um, portion of your budget if you can, um, even if it's, you know, maybe a, a 10% of your budget, make sure that you're sort of setting aside, um, you know, test and learn budget moving forward. Um, one of the biggest things that we're seeing in, um, in paid social is really being able to hit on different points of an audience with creative. So say your audience has to broaden out, you're losing some of that detailed targeting. Putting the, the trust in the algorithm, the algorithm is very smart. It's um, got a lot of data behind it. It's got a lot of predictive data behind it. Um, putting some trust in that algorithm to serve a piece of creative to a more broad audience that has more of a segmented um, part of it that will respond to that creative is really the way forward. So yes, it does take, you know, a certain amount of trust in that algorithm, but that's where that test and learn budget comes from. Um, if you have a, you know, a little bit more of a broad target and you know that you want to target um, a certain profession and it's a, it's a smaller segment of a certain profession, target that entire profession and lead your creative with speaking to that segment. Uh, the algorithm will pick up when it finds someone that returns based off of that creative and you'll know, okay, great. I, I'm now hitting that, um, that certain segment and making sure that you're setting up your campaigns. So set up your ad sets accordingly, um, but definitely lean into creative more than we have leaned into audience segmentation in the past. That's really where you're gonna find, um, find success and find scale. All right, thank you, Sheree. So one of the one of the big things that we ask every year that we do this panel, uh, and uh, it's a, the most famous question, and it's always listed some pretty interesting answers. But I'm going to go around throughout the entire panel, and it's the crystal ball question. You know, something that we haven't talked about, something you haven't uh, seen in 2021, but you're you're given the you're seeing the world in front of you, and you know, looking into your crystal ball, what's going to be big in 2022? What are people not talking about? What are people not thinking about? What you've seen with changes in technology, the marketplace, how people interact with brands. Ken, I'm going to start with you looking into the crystal ball. What's going to be uh, big in 2022 that no one's talking about just yet? Wow. I think everything is being talked about in terms of uh, taking more of a front and center. Um, just looking at my notes here. Um, I think there are some trends that I won't uh, take credit for this content that, uh, that Google just put out and think with Google, but I'm, I'm just verifying what I'm seeing. Um, some of the trends I think we can take care, uh, take the lead with and guide our clients with, or if we're in-house, um, take the lead. Um, we're pushing the, the aspects of multicultural representation in marketing. So you know, BIPOC, LGBTQ+, you know, just being more aware, um, people being able to see themselves in the advertising, uh, I think is a, is a bigger push. Now that's absolutely being talked about in terms of general awareness, but in terms of truly pivoting your marketing content and assets, I think there's a long way to go, safely to say. Um, I think anything that can bring people together, especially during Omicron, where we we had a taste of what it looked like to hang out with people and it was taken away or is being taken away. So I, do I think it's the metaverse? Probably not, uh, not for the next couple of years, even though I'm championing it in some of my predictions. I think I've you know, a little cart ahead of the horse on that one. Um, I also think that um, leveraging this, this people's need for self-awareness, self-improvement. Um, so brands uh, like we have a fitness brand we work with, it, they are just, they've been cashing in. Um, I hope it's truly to make people's lives better than to sell them a, a bike they never use that sits and use, the, use it to dry their clothes on. Um, another big push, I think, that we're looking for a variety of our clients to take advantage of is just this new hybrid work life style. 
Um, so setting up your, your home office, your away office, uh, and then how do you work between the offices? There are a lot of brands that can play in that space. Um, and, and then there's another movement that, that Google's predicting that I'm not seeing yet, but hopefully will, is just this need for people or desire for people to hire niche experts or specialists. Um, so those people that declutter your house, that sort of thing will be, I think, taking different vertical views. So that could be an opportunity for some clients. Um, sustainability, obviously, the uh, climate crisis, obviously, that's right? going green is more than just a statement anymore. And then lastly, I would say is, is focusing on personal and brand safety. So on the personal side, people, especially if you live in Portland near a homeless camp, uh, you're thinking about your personal safety and we got to deal with this homeless problem. It's very complex and it's a tough one. Um, and then brand safety, your ads showing up next to some sketchy stuff. Um, particularly, I think our big push is to get our clients as far away as possible from Facebook. I think it's the most evil corporation out there and there are many to choose from. Unfortunately, they still uh, demand a, a massive lion's share of ad dollars because it still works for now, but I hope we can get our clients away from relying so much on Facebook. Great. Thank you, Kent. Anna, what's sitting in your crystal ball? Well, I think one of the things that you know we've been talking about a lot is just the way in which algorithms, machine learning, AI have been, are used in a ways that people don't fully understand. And I think that that, you know, calls in that people over the last year, 2021, uh, have really started to call into question, you know, what are the algorithms behind the platforms really doing with my data? How are they making decisions for me predictively? And how is that impacting whether it's my life or the life of someone else? And so what I hope will be part of the conversation in 2022 and beyond is really how to be responsible with the marketing that we are doing. We know as marketers, we are utilizing platforms that rely heavily on machine learning um, and algorithms. And that a lot of that, while that's great data and the algorithms are very, very advanced, there's also pieces of that that leave behind um, certain sectors of, you know, the, the, the country. And so thinking about the impact that we as marketers have on the broader, just the broader, broader humanity, I guess, and, you know, how we might be able to shift in the, in the long term, whether that is thinking about the marketing mix that you have as a company, but how can, how can a brand or how can a company really evaluate in the year ahead, the marketing mix and how that is doing no harm uh, in the digital space. Thank you, Anna. Mike, what's in your crystal ball? Uh, well, first thing is being able to get to the mute button faster. Um, you know, it's only been two and a half years since we've been doing these things. Um, you know, it, I've said it a little bit, you know, talking about the grace of resignation and culture, but I think that culture is going to show itself even more and more in marketing, right? I think that, um, that will continue to go as, as we move forward. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, I've been seeing statistics about how, you know, the, the population is changing, uh, specifically in the United States, that we're getting older and the younger workforce isn't replacing itself. So I think that, that in an overall future marketing piece, we need to be thinking about that as organizations, as companies, um, not only like on the selfish side, for me, it's an employee piece, right? There's, um, you know, an aging population and they look at, you know, the workers between, you know, 18 and 30, it just keeps getting like, we're not, this company isn't growing, especially in, in areas like the West Coast uh, or at all the way that it was. So how is that going to impact one, uh, the companies that we're going into, you know, how, how and who you're marketing to, right? Um, and a lot of the data privacy pieces that, that have been talked about, I think that that's going to affect that as well, because we feel that younger people understand this more, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Um, so I think that communicating that in our marketing is, is really going to, um, again, continue to tell that, that the, the companies are ones that people want to, to interact with and purchase from, because that will continue to be more and more uh, a part of the buying uh, decision is who that company is, not just features and prices. Thank you, Mike. Tricia, what is, uh, what's in your crystal ball? So, ball. <clears throat> so I'm new to the panel, so I wasn't prepared for this question, but top <laughs> mind, I would say that wearables devices are going to really change a lot as we move into the next five years. 
um, things are going to get smaller and some things are going to get bigger. So how do you reach people through those, you know, diminishing screens um, and attention spans that they have? Um, you know, the landscapes that people are going to engage on is going to grow and change in ways we probably can't even um, articulate right now. But the basic tenants aren't going to change, kind of harkening back to something I said earlier, where you really have to um, know your story and know how to tell it and know how to have users permission to be in their space that they're creating and spending time in, um, whether that's the metaverse or, you know, through any of the various trending platforms that everybody seems to be talking about right now, NFTs and, um, you know, virtual reality, um, just, just that engagement in those different spaces. We may not know what they look like, but you will still need to have that personalized approach and permission to be there. And I definitely see the landscape of devices being drastically different than anything we can imagine today. Thank you, Tricia. And finally, over to you, Cherie. Yeah, mine's a little bit more tactical. Um, I think we're just going to see a lot more AR and VR coming out. Um, a lot of the, well, for example, Snapchat, right? Snapchat's lens, um, the thing that Snapchat was built off of, that's now become just a rotating ad placement for brands. Whereas before it was a very customized, very high ticket you know, placement. Now it's really available to whoever can you know, build something AR. So I think it's it's more, especially because we're still, people are still at home. Um, we're still kind of stuck in COVID times. Um, I think the, the opportunity for brands to now bring, like place a consumer where, you know, the brand is, is going to become much more important. Um, another way to do that is by using, you know, creators that can do that on behalf of the brand. I think that's also going to become the creator economy is now going to become a really big part of media. Um, and we're going to just have to start to look at, you know, that avenue a lot um, differently than we have in the past five years or so. Great. Thank you so much. Well, panel, Kent Lewis, Anna Medill, Mike Rosenberg, Trisha Davis Payne, and Cherie Jones, thank you so much for joining us for this panel. I appreciate your guys' time and giving it over to our audience and to our organization. Thank you guys so much. To you guys in the audience, I hope this was informative. We got a lot of questions, definitely some hot topics in here around influencers and how we're going to represent our brands moving forward into the world. But I want to thank you for joining us today. As always, be sure to head over to our website, sempdx.org. Uh, there you can find our free membership portal, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we're going to have announcements about future digital uh, events uh, in February and into March. Uh, and then, of course, uh, look up uh, information around our yearly engagement conference uh, that's coming up in August of 2022. Uh, we'll have lots of announcements, so stay in touch, join the Slack. And again, everyone, thank you so much for an amazing panel and your time. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at our future events. Everyone have a great and safe day, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.